My name is Beth Banks, and I'm the Senior Minister at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis. I welcome you to these few minutes of storytelling in our program, Sparks from the Flame. For more information about the UU Church of Davis, please visit our website at www.uudavis.org. The views expressed in this piece are not necessarily those of KDRT. Hello, my name is Susan Steinbach. I'd like to talk today about a good death. Is there such a thing? Is a good death an oxymoron, kind of like political leadership or military intelligence? When we think of the ways we describe death, the words, an early death, a sudden death, a tragic death, a wrongful death, a merciful death, a killed-in-action death, an assisted death, a peaceful passage. What about those who take their own lives? Is there a special place in heaven or hell for them? Why do we insist on ranking the types of deaths in our literature and religious canon? Is one type of death better than the other? Does it matter how we actually cross the threshold? Isn't death just death, and we are the ones who prescribe meaning to it? And can you have a good death if you haven't had a good life? For me, preparing for a good death means focusing while I can on the things that lie within the potential realm of my control, like estate planning or creating a trust designating insurance beneficiaries, deciding upon organ donation, preparing a durable power of attorney for health care, maybe even a memorial service and where to be laid to rest. How Western of me. <laughs> Folks from the, develop the developing world might find my last statement bewildering and presumptuous. How dare I control what is uncontrollable? Yet because I live in the first world, preparing for end of life also means being mindful of my possessions, my home and all its contents, the stuff I leave behind. It means to clean out, shred, throw away, or give away possessions in the years that I am still able. No more pack rat. After renting dumpsters and cleaning out the house of elderly relatives, I have discovered the principle of what is hidden now shall be revealed. Or its corollary, the private shall be made public. There are definitely things I don't want to be found and things that I do, so I'd better get organized now. Think of the impact of the digital age on privacy issues. Leaving all those hard drives behind stocked with e-data, yikes. I made a recent phone call to my fifth grade teacher in Bakersfield, California, Beatrice Stamm, who at 93 years old still lives in the same house she did when she taught at Longfellow Elementary School. My mother had run into her at the grocery store, and Beatrice had asked about me. Incredibly, she remembered the little red-headed girl from all those years ago. Her first words on the phone to me were, what have you done with your life? What have you done with your life? Oh my, besides making me feel old, I haven't forgotten that question. 
Beatrice makes me think that being mindful of a good life now could possibly prepare me for a good death. What am I leaving behind in terms of a legacy? Like the Girl Scout motto, did I leave the campsite cleaner than when I found it? Did I treat the earth well? Did I make a difference to someone? Did I fall in love? Was I a good teacher? Was I driven more by my attachments and addictions than by my higher self? Did I take the simple kindnesses I was given and multiply them like radish seedlings? Did I learn to navigate an assortment of roles in life? The innocent, the wanderer, the seducer, the seduced, the bereft, the visionary, the failure, the phoenix, and the crone. Did I learn as I age to cope with diminished capacity, loss of dignity, memory impairment? Did I learn when to hold on tight and when to let go? Did I learn to make amends? Was I of use? Was I a blessing to others as I have been so blessed? And can I forgive myself when I haven't done those things? I've come to appreciate those who dare linger near the doorway of death, whether they be hospice folks, threshold singers, family members of loved ones, nurses, clergy, God. When death comes for me, as Mary Oliver writes, like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I ask for a swift passage. And if you are there, hold my hand and sing to me. For more information on the UU Church of Davis, please visit our website at www.uudavis.org. The Davis High Journalism Program presents Local News from a Student Perspective. Welcome to this week's Dirt on Davis. For years, DHS's orchestra programs have been recognized for their abilities. The Symphony Orchestra is being praised for its work after the June issue of Downbeat Magazine came out this month and hit newsstands nationwide. Kelsey Ewing has the story. One of the final DHS events of the year is the annual card show which took place on Wednesday, May 25th, Page and brought crowds of curious students to the magazine, high school quad. Rubia Siddiqui with co-producer Monica Lopez-Lara has the story. Thank you for tuning into this week's Dirt on Davis. In this is Grace Calhoun signing out. Dr. Angelo Moreno and his orchestra will be recognized as the best classical high school group in the nation. Um, number one, they were really shocked uh, and really excited about it. And I think I'm really honored to have been recognized for all their hard work. First Chair Basis and DHS Senior Katie Ronning acknowledged that the competition is naturally fierce. There's a lot of really great orchestras out there too, and um, you know we can always get better. However, the orchestra had a head start on many of the other applicants. The group meets four days a week, and members are required to play an additional 120 minutes outside of school every week. That, in comparison to most symphonies. Um, there's about twice as much time as most groups get in a week. Um, most college symphonies play two days, two nights a week. Most professional symphonies play three times before a concert. And so we get a lot, a lot of time to get it right. Not only has the symphony orchestra been praised for its work, 
but also the DHS music program as a whole was recently recognized by the Grammy Signature Foundation. And that was kind of a big deal because that means that uh, as a department we submit CDs and all the information about our music department as a whole and we have to have excellence in every single group to be able to win that sort of award. Mm -hmm. The symphony orchestra, along with the Baroque Ensemble and Chamber Orchestra, will play in their final concert of the year on Thursday, May 26th. This has been Kelsey Ewing with BlueDevilHub.com. One of the final DHS events of the year is the annual car show, which took place on Wednesday, May 25th, and brought crowds of curious students to the high school quad. Rubia Siddiqui with co-producer Monica Lopez-Lara have the story. DHS's annual car show took place on Wednesday, May 25th. Although this year brought cloudy skies and rain to the quad, many students still gathered around the cars to bask in their glory. Senior and student government member Emma McNeil helped organize the event. She says the categories for nomination are Best Stereo, Best 4x4, People's Choice, Best Exterior, Best Interior, Best Wheels, and Best Classic. We started putting out applications three and a half weeks ago, and we had to postpone the car show until a week later than what we were planning, which was May 25th instead of May 18th. Senior Clayton Jimenez entered his 1963 Cadillac DeVille. He says his favorite part of his car is a black and white leather interior, which he says was redone two years ago. He entered the DeVille into best interior, best classic, best exterior, and people's choice. I don't know. It's just, it's unique. It's one of its, it's like a old classic, it's like a luxury car, and it's like one of its only, it's one of the only kinds here, I guess, of that kind of car. Like, we have a bunch of classics, but all of them are like, more like muscle cars or something like that. And this is the only car that's like long and supposed to be luxurious. Junior Michael Yen also participated in what was his second car show by entering his Chevy Camaro in Best Exterior and People's Choice. Yen is not optimistic about winning because he has noticed that other cars have received more attention than his. No, I know. I'm not disappointed. Last year I was kind of disappointed though because, but last year they had way better cars than mine. I'm not going to lie. But this year I definitely thought I deserved to be like, I don't know, top five cars right there was an awesome mustang there was like a ferrari and then there was just like some really stupid cars although he doesn't expect to win he will not be disappointed because he participates to increase school spirit rather than to win a prize oh i don't think i should win i i mean it would be nice to win i don't i don't think that i have to win or anything um i just i just uh want to be part of like the school spirit thing you know according to mcneil the cars that received the most attention were the ferrari cadillac and a truck with an impressive sound system this is rabia siddiqui bluedevilhub.com thank you for tuning into this week's dirt on davis this is grace calhoun signing out here it is from deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this week from London, England, where the world's money comes to get a quick wash. And it looks fine, you know? Doesn't need the conditioner. Just just a, a, slight, a slight laundering. Um, wonderful experience in my life uh, in the last couple weeks that I have to share with you at the top of today's broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, yes, that is... A fan in the background. 
They follow me everywhere. Uh, I was you you if you know me at all, or if you know anybody like me, you know that uh, I have tremendous disdain, practiced disdain, refined and honed disdain for the admittedly dwindling number of eating establishments that uh, reserve the right to tell people like me, that is to say, gentlemen, uh, how to dress when they're in the, their establishment. You know, my, my rule has always been, when you pay me to eat dinner in your place, you can tell me how to dress. Otherwise, and you know, you, you find in, in, in the same places where they they give guys these horrible jackets to wear, reeking of the cologne of the last guy to wear it. Mmm, those scallops smell like Old Spice. Uh, moments later, a woman comes in dressed as if she's, you know, running down the beach, except that she's been doused with uh, four quarts of Chanel Number no. 5. But that's cool. Anyway, I was in a restaurant. I, I, I won't say the, the city so as to spare them the embarrassment uh, if their management finds out, because I thought this was so very, very cool. I come in. I have a reservation. Um, they say, all right, right this way. And the, and the hostess reaches into her little closet and reaches for one of those horrible dark jackets that, you know, um, wouldn't fit Rush Limbaugh. And, uh, but she escorts me to my seat and, does, you know, just holds the jacket off in, in her other arm. And I'm thinking, when does she break it to me? And when do I break it to her? Uh, but that never happens because she pulls out the chair behind me and hangs the jacket on the back of the chair and then beckons me to sit down. And I look at her and say, really? She said, yeah, it's a rule. So the chair was well-dressed. That's really all that was required, apparently. Uh, how, how intelligently to deal with a stupid rule. Uh, my hat's off to you. Well, I, I wasn't allowed to wear the hat. Uh, and speaking of intelligent dealing with stupid circumstances, you know, um, I'm... I'm amazed at the number of people. Now, certainly some of the people uh, do it because it's their job. Uh, but those a- amateurs who are doing it, who are saying, oh, the Tea Party, they're crazy. Yeah, they're crazy. They're getting it their way, ladies and gentlemen. They decided if we just say we're never going to do this, uh, everybody else is going to go, no, 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 please. Really, how about if we give you more? <laughs> yeah, really crazy. Um, well played, sirs and madams. Well played. Not that I agree, but I'm just saying, you know, as an observer of the game. Um, and as, you know, we're told, and as, as of the moment when this show is going out, I have no idea how that crucial Senate vote is going to turn out. And you know how much I care. But we are told one of the, one of the dire prospects in the offing, or off the inning, if, uh, this, this debt deal doesn't get done, and of course it will, is that uh, interest rates will go up not just for the country. This is if we uh, get downgraded to a double A, like we'll be an AMCO, I guess. We'll be all right. By the way, you know, rated by the same, downgraded by the same ratings agencies that called crap mortgage-filled securities triple A, the United States would be a double A. Really? You think? Anyway, we're told that uh, if we're downgraded, one of the things that would happen is, oh, my God, interest rates will go up on credit cards and home loans and car loans, and that will hurt the economy. And 
I thought, yeah, until I remembered back a few years when uh, the credit card companies had a, a, a very successful campaign basically to get rid of the state usury laws so that they could charge whatever they wanted to on your unpaid balance, 20, 30, 40 percent. Uh, and, and they got those, rel- those, those laws relaxed, and, and you noticed how people stopped buying on their credit card ever since. So I'm really scared. Hello, welcome to the show. I could cry solitudes. Where have I been all these years? Listen, you, why don't you tell me truth? How long has this been going on? From London, England, just just off of Leicester Square that they've really screwed up for the, uh, for the Olympics. Thank you. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Um, I know that the debt thing has so monopolized the news that you, you may not know what's been going on in the uh, still, and I'm going to use a old-fashioned Newsweek word here, burgeoning News Corp scandal. Here you go. The private investigator at the center of the scandal has denied suggestions he acted without orders from his newspaper, The News of the World, now shuttered by James Murdoch. In an attack on News International, Glenn Mulcair, the private eye, said he was effectively employed by News from 2002 as a private investigator and had not acted unilaterally when he intercepted voicemails. As an employee, he acted on the instructions of others, said his lawyers who uh, also have said this week that they are going to insist on continuing to get their legal fees paid by Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, even though News Corporation said, not us, we're not, what? The uh, private investigator statement challenges News International's central defense that one rogue reporter and one rogue private investigator were involved. This uh, comes after Sarah Payne, whose eight-year-old daughter, Sarah with an H, was abducted and murdered, learned that the private investigator may have targeted her phone. They like listening in on the phones of murdered, you know, it's a hobby, it's a thing. Also, Jonathan Chapman, the former head of corporate and legal affairs at News Corp, News International, actually, the U.K. and Asian uh, subsidiary, claimed there are serious inaccuracies in statements made to that uh, parliamentary committee a couple of weeks ago by James Murdoch. Uh-oh. It's the third former News Corp employee to say that. And by Rebecca Brooks as well. Uh, Chapman said he's willing to fully cooperate with the select committee and its investigations in order to ensure that the truth is established. <laughs> Rebecca Brooks had promised the staff of News of the World, the now shuttered tabloid at the heart of the scandal, that uh, they would all get jobs in News Corp. Some of those jobs, you may be surprised to find out, certainly the employees have been, are in Siberia. Yes, beautiful Siberia. It's lovely this time of year. Dubai, of course, is another. Well, that's not, that's not bad. 
The vast majority of the alternative jobs being discussed are either non-editorial or entail a move abroad. Uh, oil reporter or symbology analyst, Russian language. And materials manager for Fox in Siberia. Fox has materials in Siberia. I think I'll be going there. And the senior lawyers for the law firm that represented News International when uh, they first were trying to hush all this up are furious, their word, at the way they have been blamed by Murdoch and others in the wake of the scandal, according to The Independent on Sunday. They're going to meet the police, bring money, boys, uh, to explain their position in the next few days. Rupert Murdoch said uh, the prominent London law firm had made a massive mistake when it gave the publishers of the tabloid a clean bill of health as to whether there was more illegality to be uncovered at the company way back in 2007. It's believed that Murdoch also criticized the lawyers in a private meeting with the family of the murdered girl earlier this month when he apologized. The uh, firm Harbottle & Lewis declared there was no reasonable evidence that senior news staff knew about the illegal activities. And News has used the letter as a shield to fend off allegations that covered up the widespread nature of the stuff. The Murdoch claims have infuriated the law law firm so much that senior figures are understood to have discussed taking legal action for defamation. Stick around. It's going to get good. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. I think they should sell tickets. You know, they like money. The Judicial Bureau of Wenzhou in East China's Zhejiang province has apologized for a statement that told lawyers not to unauthorizedly handle cases involving last Saturday's deadly bullet train collision. The judicial authorities apologized to the public for the, quote, lax supervision over the Wenzhou Lawyers Association, which allegedly issued the order arbitrarily, according to the apology statement posted on an official news website. I like my official news, don't you? It's so... Official. Oh, I spilled water on me. Help, mister. That's why you're not supposed to have water near near electronics, huh? I had no idea. Uh, a tweet from Missouri Congressman Billy Long comparing a dead pop star to Washington got international attention this week. He's apologized to anyone offended by his remarks. Around noon on Monday, Long tweeted, No one could reach Amy Winehouse before it was too late. Can anyone reach Washington before it's too late? Both addicted, same fate? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Long, a Springfield, Missouri-based Republican, uh, was quickly criticized. And that evening he said in a text message, Although I do believe in spending... I do believe spending 42% more than we take in is an addiction. I certainly meant no disrespect to Amy, her family, or her fans. If anyone took offense, I sincerely apologize. That's an if. That's, that's not a real apology, Billy. Now you go back and work on it. Admitting responsibility for killing two civilians, NATO officials apologized and paid compensatory money to the relatives of civilians killed by their gunfire in, cent- in central province of Maidang Wardag in Afghanistan this week. Senior NATO official met an official of the province admitted responsibility for the killing of two family members and handed him over $1.5 million in compensation. And sheep, as per Pashtun traditions, as well as offering him the official apology of the NATO commander. See, you get, you get more money when you're killed by NATO troops than U.S. troops. That's just a fact. 
Herman Cain, the Republican presidential hopeful, met with Muslims this week and emerged, saying in a campaign statement, he is humble and contrite for any statements I've made that might have caused offense for Muslim Americans and their friends. I am truly sorry for any comments that may have betrayed my commitment to the U.S. Constitution and the freedom of religion guaranteed by it, said Cain. No comment from Abel. Dateline Beijing, a signal system design company, apologized this week for a design flaw in one of its products that allegedly caused last week's deadly high-speed train collision in China. The Beijing National Railway Research and Design Institute of Signals and Communication, not a long enough name, babe, posted an apology letter on its website expressing its condolences and regret to the victims of the accident and their families. We feel very sorry for the deadly train accident that caused so much loss of life, the letter said. See? A bureaucracy with a clunky name can apologize for a design defect? No, I'm not looking at you, Army Corps of Engineers. American, oh, it's, I guess it's only called AMC now. It doesn't even have a real name. AMC's, you know, the TV channel, his head of original programming, Joel Stillerman, apologized to journalists after a fashion for the killing, a show about a murder investigation whose first season featured no conclusive solution, solution to the mystery. Quote, for everybody who was frustrated, we hear you. We would have taken a different approach to managing the expectations about what was going to happen, said Mr. Stillerman. That was Steve for the Stillerman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am so sorry. 46 teachers laid off by Natomas Unified School District north of Sacramento in May have not been rehired. The laid-off teachers were justifiably baffled last week when they read that they had been rehired. Interim Superintendent Walt Hanline had told the Sacramento Bee that all the laid-off teachers were rehired to fill positions vacated by retiring or resigning teachers. Not so. Actually, only two of the 47 teachers have been rehired. On Thursday, Hanline apologized for the confusion, which he said was, quote, not helpful to the teachers involved. He said the district has four different ways it keeps track of staff. It's confusing, he said. Five, I think, would be better, don't you? I think five would work. Five would be very, very... Dayline Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker James Harrison publicly apologized this week for his inflammatory comments about NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. The interview that I did and the comments that I made about Roger Goodell were inappropriate at the least, Harrison said. They were way out of line, and I was speaking out of anger and frustration at the time. Any comments that I made that offended anyone, I apologize. Harrison had criticized Goodell in the league for the way it hands out fines for hard hits. In the earlier interview, Harrison had called Goodell a devil and a crook and a puppet. But he's sorry. The British uh, Member of Parliament, who accused CNN talk show host Pierce Morgan of saying in his book that he had uh, admitted phone hacking, has now apologized. Conservative Member of Parliament Louise Mensch said she'd misread an article in the Daily Telegraph on which she based her allegation. And she blamed the alligator. I'm sorry. Now I'm really sorry. Louise Manch, though. Think of it. Crystal Harris, who was going to marry Hugh Hefner, brought attention to her bedroom life with Hefner when she said, uh, when she told, uh, told Howard Stern this week that their lovemaking only lasted, quote, like two seconds. Then she tweeted an apology. Quote, the Stern interview scared me. He's harsh. I was unprepared and blurted out things I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry. Her apology came after several other playmates came to Hef's defense. One said, Hef is a lover. I think they definitely had sex more than that one time, and it wasn't two minutes. Hef definitely has a sex life. 
Hef joined in tweeting. Yeah, Hef tweets. What else he got to do? Quote, Crystal apologized for her Howard Stern interview, which I appreciated. It didn't have much to do with reality. Okay. Anytime I want to know if something has a relationship to reality, I'm going to ask Hef. But that's just me. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, apologized to his constituents and to all Americans this week for Congress's inability to pass a bill dealing with the debt limit and larger issues involving excessive spending. Said Manchin on the Senate floor, we are better than this. And for the sake of this nation's future, we must do better. Prove that you're better than this. I'm going to ask Hef if you're better than this, okay? Chicago CBS station, TV station WBBM has issued an apology after taking the comments of a four-year-old child out of context in relation to a shooting in Chicago. The child told a reporter the shootings didn't scare him, and when he grows up, quote, I'm going to have me a gun. That made the child seem to aspire to commit shootings himself, but the station left out the next line, I'm going to be police. Uh, in Newcastle, Australia, the head of the healthcare arm of the Catholic Church apologized to the victims of forced adoption practices that have been going on. Uh, well, what, what went on some 50 years ago, the apology followed an admission by Catholic Health Australia that, it, quote, a small number of church-run hospitals and women's homes maintained unwanted abortion, adoption, sorry, adoption practices from the 1950s through to the 1970s. CEO Martin Laverty said he's prepared to meet a Senate inquiry to make an expression of sorrow and regret if such an apology brought healing and comfort to the women who had their newborns forcibly removed by Catholic hospitals and women's homes. Darren Gill, the former attache for the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, I'd like one of each, please, in Mexico City, apologized this week to his Mexican counterparts for Operation Fast and Furious, the ATF program that encouraged gun dealers to sell to straw purchasers with the hopes of tracing the guns to Mexican cartels. ATF lost track of many of the guns, some of which have showed up at crime scenes. I would like to apologize to my former Mexican law enforcement counterparts and the people of Mexico for Fast and Furious, he said. I hope they understand it was kept secret from me and my colleagues. An Italian member of the European Parliament apologized on Thursday to Norway for his support of some of the ideas expressed by twin terror attack suspect Andrews Breivik. Mario Borgaggio of the Anti-Immigration Northern League Party condemned last Friday's attacks but supported Breivik's opposition to Muslim immigration to Europe in an interview with an Italian radio station earlier. But now, quote, I apologize to the victims and the Norwegian people, he said. He also said he would make a statement to the European Parliament. And here's something you'll never happen. You'll never see happen in the United States. The heads of the um, tax agency over here in Britain have apologized to customers for poor performance and huge delays following a damning report by Parliament. Mike Clasper, chairman of Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, said he was sorry to taxpayers after the committee uncovered a raft of problems with the service. They included phone calls going unanswered at peak times and endemic delays in answering letters. He said, we're not happy with our performance last year. It simply wasn't good enough on mail and telephone. And I'd like to take the opportunity to apologize to the people who had, who had to take a long time to get through or we didn't get back to them quick enough with, with the mail. And this year we've been working very hard, very, very hard to improve things. We're handling the calls immediately much more frequently than we did last year. And as far as individual customers are concerned, you know, the mail levels have dropped in half. That's not where we want to be, but it's a lot better than where we were in 2010.
Sincerely, your tax man. Isn't that nice? I think that's nice. Tax man apologizes, ladies and gentlemen. Apologies of the week. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news from outside the bubble. Here's one of the Chilean miners. Remember them? Well, the independent newspaper dug him up. I mean, found him. And here's what he says a year later. Despite everything that happened, we are yet to receive any kind of compensation from the mining company. A whole year has passed now. We've heard absolutely nothing. Very little seems to have been done to investigate the lack of safety that led to the accident, while the owners and administrators have refused to accept their responsibility. There was talk, he says, of the government giving a pension to those who were too old to work at the mine, but none of that has happened. Our only real hope was that there might be a film or a book, but despite a lot of talk and news reports, none of this has been confirmed with me. And it's hard to see anything changing. Chilean miner Jose Enriquez, one year later. Civilians are bearing the brunt of the international forces onslaught against the Taliban as the coalition rushes to pacify Afghanistan before pulling out, according to the Independent. Human rights groups warned that civilians are paying an increasingly high price for so-called reckless coalition attacks, particularly aerial ones. The Ministry of Defense in Britain confirmed last week that five Afghan children were injured in an airstrike carried out by a British helicopter. The United Nations Assistance Mission in Afghanistan, UNAMA, has found the rate of civilian casualties has reached a record high, 1,462 killed in January to June this year. The number of civilian victims of pro-government action fell. Those who died as a result of civilian coalition air attacks were 14% higher than in the same period in 2010, kind of wiping out the improvement by the tax authorities. The credibility of the British-backed rebel forces in Libya has been thrown into doubt, says the Independent, after the shocking assassination of that top military commander of the rebels, leading to claims the movement is enmeshed in a bloody internal feud. The news of the deaths led to outbreaks of violence in the opposition capital, Benghazi, with troops loyal to the general and members of the large and powerful tribe to which he belonged, vowing retribution. So the Libyan thing is working out well. And it was seen as one of the most distressing effects of climate change, says The Guardian. Polar bears dying off of exhaustion after being stranded between melting patches of Arctic sea ice. But now the government scientist who first warned of the threat to polar bears in a warming Arctic has been suspended and his work put under official investigation for possible scientific misconduct. Charles Monnet, a wildlife biologist, oversaw much of the scientific work for the government agency that has been examining drilling in the Arctic. Some question why Monnet, employed by the U.S. Bureau of Ocean Energy Management Regulation and Enforcement, the boom has been suspended at this moment. The Obama administration has been accused of hounding the scientists so it can open up the fragile region to drilling by Shell and other big oil companies. You have to wonder, this is the guy in charge of all the science in the Arctic, and he's being suspended just now as an arm of the Interior Department is getting ready to make its decision on offshore drilling in the Arctic seas, said the president of the group Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. This is a tale with a deeply chilling message, he says, for any federal scientist who dares to publish groundbreaking research on conditions in the Arctic. The group filed an official complaint on Monnet's behalf on Thursday. It seeks his reinstatement and a public apology. I didn't know about that until I came here. 
News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. This is the show, and now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Following up on uh, last week's piece about that... That sad part of London that was supposed to be uh, revived by the building of the Olympic stuff there, Newham. Prices of homes close to London's Olympic Park fell over the past year as signs of revitalization in one of Britain's poorest areas failed to materialize. Overseas buyers focused on more central districts. Residential property values near the 500 60-acre site in East London fell as much as 7% in the year through July. Homes near the Olympic Stadium have risen about 19% since the city won the right to host the Games, compared with a gain of 27% in the rest of the London. The London. The eastern region is one that has perhaps bypassed the central London international demand, said one executive. With the Olympics, you would have thought it might have responded better. Yeah, you would have. Yeah. And a row, a dispute, I say, over British athletes' non-involvement in the opening ceremony of next year's London Olympics threatens to overshadow the event, being directed by the Oscar-winning filmmaker Danny Boyle. It's understood that Boyle, slumdog millionaire director, intended to use athletes as the centerpiece of the opening opening gala, which will be watched by, well, we'll see who it'll be watched by, but coaches worried that a prolonged ceremony could leave athletes on their feet for hours, have banned the track and field team teams from taking part. The swimming team is, teams are likely to follow. Boyle is now re-planning the event. The former Olympic triple jump champion and athlete's representative at the uh, Games, Jonathan Edwards, said uh, participation could actually boost athletes' motivation. But ain't going to happen. According to the sports minister of Britain, Hugh Robertson, a large medal, medal hall, hall of medals, hall, H-A-U-L, of medals for Britain is more important. What I want is a record hall of British athletic medals, and it's up to the head of that team to deliver that. Nobody's going to worry whether the athletes went to the opening ceremony or not. So don't watch. See if I care. The Olympics, it's a movement, and everybody needs one, every day.
And now... here. Addie is excited. Addie the Atom, excited by what? Olympics. Olympics, really. A few hours south of Manila, this is news of the Olympic... No, it's not. It's news of uh, our friend the Atom. Yeah. You confused me with that, Addie. A few hours north of Manila, a large gray building with a cylindrical tower stands on a promontory overlooking the sea. It's the Philippines' only nuclear power plant. It cost more than $2 billion to build. It has never produced a watt of electricity. Nearly three decades after the plant was built at Bataan, yeah, same place as World War II thing, it is being opened up again as a tourist attraction. We've started doing this so we can maintain some funds to help maintain and secure the site, says the manager of the plant. Because there's no danger of radiation, the thing was never turned on. Participants are allowed right into the heart of the tower to see the reactor itself with its control rods still wrapped in their plastic packaging. The plant was mothballed before it was ever switched on because it was completed at the time after years of construction and alteration when the plant's main backer, President Ferdinand Marcos, was ousted. His successor, Corazon Aquino, had her doubts about its safety. In particular, she questioned whether the many allegations of corruption against the previous regime could mean that parts of the plant were not built properly. Compounding her concern, the Bataan plant is near several geographic, geographical, geological pardon me, fault lines so could be susceptible to earthquake and tsunami damage. And it's not far from Mount Natib, which seismologists describe as a potentially active volcano. So go see it. Go see the future. U.S. communities should be encouraged to vie to compete for a federal nuclear waste site as a way to end a decades-long dilemma over disposing of spent radioactive fuel, says a commission established by President Obama, a consent-based approach. Hey, Indian tribes, are you listening? We'll help cut costs and end delays, says the Blue Ribbon Commission on America's Nuclear Future. This means encouraging communities to volunteer to be considered to host a new nuclear waste management facility. Yeah, yeah, what a good idea that would be. The report said the record of the Energy Department has not inspired confidence or trust in our nation's nuclear waste management program. So they called for a new federal corporation to run the program. Really? You think they could take over for the Army Corps of Engineers, too? The Obama administration, said a spokesman, is committed to restarting the American nuclear industry. I didn't... Oh, it did stop. Yeah. When he retired after 26 years as an investigator with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's Office of Inspector General, George Mul- Mul- Mully... Hello. Thought his final report was one of his best. He'd spent year, months looking into why a pipe carrying cooling water at a nuclear plant in Illinois had rusted so poorly that it burst. His report cited lapses by a parade of NRC inspectors over six years and systematic weaknesses in the way NRC monitors corrosion. Rather than accept his findings, the Inspector General's office at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission rewrote them. The revised report shifted much of the blame to the plant's owner, Exelon, excuse me, Exelon, instead of to the procedures at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission itself. And instead of designating it as a public report and delivering it to Congress, as is the norm, the office put it off limits. It only was ref- um, reta- re- re- um, received after a Freedom of Information Act request was filed. 
Mully and one other former in- Inspector General employee have come forth with allegations that the Inspector General's office buried the critical report and dropped an investigation into whether the NRC is relying on outdated methods to predict damage from an aircraft crashing into a plant. The Inspector General's office, they assert, has shied away from challenging the NRC at exactly the wrong time, with many of the country's more than 100 nuclear plants aging beyond their 40-year design life. But hey, design life. Federal nuclear safety inspectors found unspecified security deficiencies at the Calvert Cliffs nuclear power plant in southern Maryland earlier this year. The NRC disclosed that this week. The agency could not, however, reveal the nature of the problem or discuss why it had conducted a special inspection of the plant for the first six months of this year, because that's the way they do since 9-11. The head of the nuclear power industry's trade group this week said U.S. plants should move within five years to implement new safety measures as a result of lessons learned from Fook. But um, the group did not endorse the NRC's 90-day proposal for deciding whether it would support staff recommendations for new safety procedures. He said, said Mervyn Fertel, head of the Nuclear Energy Institute, quote, we don't want to divert operations to areas that maybe are important to safety, but not as important as something else that needs to be done right now, unquote. That makes you feel better, doesn't it? I think it was designed to. Japan's Fuk plant ranked as one of the worst, most dangerous in the world for radiation exposure years before it was destroyed by the meltdowns and explosions earlier this year. For five years to 2008, the Fuku plant was rated the most hazardous nuclear facility in Japan for worker exposure to radiation and one of the five worst nuclear plants in the world on that basis. Reuters exclusively uncovered these rankings. More Hanford workers are starting to raise safety concerns about that massive nuclear waste treatment plant under construction in southeast Washington where a federal watchdog called the safety culture flawed. That finding is bolstered by a string of new letters from workers who say they have firsthand knowledge of problems at the plant. And my favorite of the week, Addie, you'll like this. Yeah. Limestone County, Alabama, where the Browns Ferry nuclear plant is nearby, uh, got hit by a tornado, didn't hurt the plant. Much of the county went dark and sirens were not operational as the storms continued. The sirens had no backup power. The chief operating officer for the TVA said the company is now planning to install emergency sirens with backup battery capabilities. So sirens, which are only needed in an emergency, will now have power in case of an emergency. Well done, Addie. I didn't do it. Don't look at me. News of the atom, ladies and gentlemen. And... um, so uh, there's a vote going on as we speak. Don't really know what's, what's happening, but as I say, I care so very, very much. But uh, it's clear that the negotiations have moved in a, in a particular direction um, and that both sides are angling to uh, either claim credit or avoid blame. But uh, most of the... Uh, the, the most sinuous, shall I say, the most sinuous dance in all this, I, I, I would nominate the uh, occupant of the White House. And for further enlightenment into that, let's, uh, let's turn on the TV.
Father Knows Best. Hi, honey. I'm upstairs. How was your day? Oh, pretty rough. No, what's the matter, sugar? Are they still criticizing you for buying clothes at Target? No, quite the opposite. Matter of fact, I think right now I'm more of a man of the people than someone else in this house I could name. No. But I have been having a devil of a time here. Oh, really? Yeah. Just no luck with this recipe. No. Well, can't the White House chef help you? No. It's for my own project. Oh. Well, what are you trying to do? Make an organic Twinkie. <laughs> oh, I have to admit, that does sound good. Mm -hmm. How was your day, sweetie? Oh, the usual speech about being the adult in the room, press conference about being the adult in the room, and then, worst of all, trying, trying to, to be, be the, the adult, adult in the room. room. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I guess we've sort of been doing the same thing, Sugar. Really? What's that? Well, taking out everything good and trying to make it go down without people ganging. Well, I suppose, but... Hey, kitten, why the long face? You're not a horse. <laughs> you know I'm not a horse. No. And what's wrong? <laughs> Nothing. Maybe I better let you two have some... Mom's not going to overhear this time. <laughs> okay, Pumpkin. What's up? <sighs> the boys won't let us use the gym. Really? Mm -hmm. How come? Oh, it's stupid. Okay, honey. Everything's stupid. <laughs> but uh, what did they say? Um, they say we're not serious basketball players, mm -hmm. and it's a waste of gym time to let us have the court. Wow. That is stupid. I mean, haven't they ever seen Lisa Leslie or Tamika Catchings? Uh, well, I know there's more. But, Daddy, I'm four foot eight. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to play for the Fever or the Mercury or even the Mystics. Mm. But it's just so unfair. Well, honey, I'm sure there's some way to work it out. Uh, let's see. Um, would some chocolate ice cream help? <laughs> no. Oh, some, uh, what are these? Pickled watermelon balls? Uh-huh. Well, I'd offer you some organic Twinkies, but I know better. Well, look, Kitten, mm -hmm. how can they keep you from using the gym? Well, they and a bunch of their friends have reserved the gym all day long, all through the summer, 6 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week. Well, the good news is they've got to get tuckered out by August, don't you think? even come and play. They just plunk down a deposit and go home and play video basketball. Oh, well, have you offered to split the time half and half with them? Uh-huh. Dominic McCoy, he's kind of their leader. Mm -hmm. He says he's not interested in half of anything. He says he won't even watch halftime shows on TV. Wow. Kind of hard line. Yeah. Well, how about if you knew someone who knew someone in the video game industry who could offer them the MVP version of the NBA video game with all the secret extras. I offered them that. And? They signed up, used the password your lobbyist friend gave us, and they still won't let us use the gym. Oh, well, he's not really a lobbyist, honey. Daddy. And he's not really a friend. <laughs> but 
Any other bright ideas, Dad? Hey there. Let's keep a tone of respect in your voice when you're being condescending to your father. <laughs> but now look, honey, I, I know it's not what you and your friends would really want, but in situations like this, you just might have to settle for something less than the ideal. <laughs> like what, Dad? Well, how about if you and your friends offer to pay the boys back for their deposits, and then you get to use the gym when, well, maybe when it's closed? <laughs> Dad, to put it mildly, that sounds counterintuitive. No, you're right, kitten. It sure does. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should pay for their deposits and then dare them to keep control of the gym until school starts up again. Uh-huh. And, and what do we do in the meantime? Oh, I don't know. Well, you could help your mother try to make organic twinkies. Well, I am your mother. And we do have the technology. But you see, kitten, you don't have to win to show people you're strong. Sometimes the only way to teach a lesson to folks who don't want to compromise is to show them the price of getting their own way. Which is? Not getting dates for the Christmas dance. Oh, these boys don't go to the dance. Well, then they're just going to miss out on meeting nice girls like my kitten. Oh, Daddy. And you get to be... The grown-up at the dance. Now, come on, everybody. Let's go watch Jeopardy. From London, this is Le Show, and now quickly, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Iraq yeah. is a less safe place than it was one year ago, and security is continuing to deteriorate. According to the Special Inspector General for Iraq Reconstruction, it contrasts markedly with the view often voiced by senior U.S. Army officials who argue that levels of violence are significantly lower than 2006 and 7, The uh, special IG, Stuart Bowen, said efforts by Washington to hand over responsibility for training Baghdad's fledgling police force to the American embassy would prove, quote, challenging. Quote, Iraq remains an extraordinarily dangerous place to work, Bowen said. It is less safe, in my judgment, than 12 months ago, unquote. He added the transition of responsibility for reconstruction from the military to the embassy was occurring, a quote, against the backdrop of a security situation in Iraq that continues to deteriorate. The June was the deadliest month for U.S. military personnel since April 2009. The April to July period saw the highest number of assassinations of senior Iraqi officials since the inspector general began tracking such figures. He warned that while joint efforts by the U.S. and Iraq had lowered the threat posed by insurgent groups, quote, foreign militias have become cause for concern. And added, the past quarter also saw an increase in the number of rockets hitting the international zone and the U.S. embassy compound as well. It's the desurge. It's the miracle of the desurge. And news of the inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen... You're on the air, Chet. On that Park, me up in the you see that red light, Chet? Don't get it confused. That means we're on the air. Oh, oh, uh, I forgot we're recording. 
<laughs> Here we go. Places. Get in your closet. One. And on a related note, Dateline Providence, Rhode Island, nearly 10 years after the declaration of the war on terror, the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Pakistan have killed at least 225,000 people, including men and women in uniform, contractors, and civilians. The wars will cost Americans between $3.2 and $4 trillion, according to a new Eisenhower research project based at Brown University's Watson Institute for International Studies. Hey, $4 trillion. That's what they're trying to cut out, that thing with the... But that thing with the... Now, while, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.415 megahertz short wave on the mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, harryshearer.com and kcrw.com, available as a free thing on your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast thing through kcrw.com and it'd be just like housing prices going up near the olympics if you'd agree to join with me then would you already thank you very much Uh uh-huh show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and thanks to Adrian Bodnam, Bodders, here at Global Radio in London for helping to make today's program a little wetter than usual. The email address for this broadcast and the playlist of the music heard here on, two of the standout features at harryshearer.com. We're just about three weeks away from the Big Uneasy coming to digital platforms near you. Details at thebigunneasy.com. And 41,000 people are following this show on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. You could be the next. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities type of name through the facilities of KCRW Santa Monica. Santa Monica? Really? Yes, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a community recognized around the world. Say it with me now as the home of the homeless. So long from a sweltering London. Thank you.